we'll be looking at chapter 1 and chapter 2 today, and we're going to be talking about being firmly planted. Being firmly planted uh, is the theme of today's message. I want to give you a little bit of background uh, in the Psalms so we understand um, a little bit about them. Now listen, there have been books, whole books written as an introduction to the Psalms uh, and, and to try to understand in its totality. And you're welcome to buy those books, and you're welcome to read those books, but I will, uh, I'll give you about five minutes, ten minutes of an introduction uh, for Psalms today, and it will probably have a lot of those little introductions on Psalms as we go through those uh, different sections and as we, as we uh, find and, and uh, uh, come across kind of differences in, in one Psalm to the other Psalm. So uh, one, a couple things about the Psalms. Um, the Psalms, or the word Psalms, is actually from the word that means plucking of strings, the plucking of strings. So Psalms is, is something that we, we accompany with music, right? It's something that's, that's music. It's, it's a form of worship. Uh, and whether it's stringed instruments like a guitar or, or a harp, right, or uh, some other stringed instrument from uh, Old Testament days, um, that's what it means. It's divided into five books. And some of your books, your Bibles will say this is book one, right? If it's right on top of Psalm 1, book one, and it goes through chapter 18. Uh, and then there's five books all the way through uh, chapter 150. And one of the things that, that it said that they, they tried to do was mimic the five books of the Pentateuch, right? Or, or the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and uh, that was the book of law, right? The book of law, or Moses' book of law. And now we have this new, not, not replacing, but new uh, f- uh, additional form or additional instruction uh, of law in Psalms. And they're, they're said to be the, the, the law of David. So you have the law of Moses, and this is the law of David, because David is uh, one of the primary authors, or at least penned um, a majority of the text compared to others. So there's five books divided, uh, in, divided into, into five sections, right, that are mimicking the books of the law, the law of Moses. Uh, each one of those books ends with a, a, a climactic doxology or prayer, uh, really beautiful. If you looked in those, look in those later on, maybe today you'll see just a, just a beautiful prayer, kind of summing up um, that that section. And then the Psalms are are meant to be sung, right, or read as poetry. So the Psalms are songs or poetry. And when they're songs or poetry, the intent is this: think about all the songs that we sing. Uh, when it's when it's songs or poetry, it's meant to be caught easily in in the heart and in the mind. How many of you remember, like, you, you, you hear a song come on the radio, and for some reason you're singing along with it, and you never remember even hearing that song? Because when we add music to something, it tends to go down deep and dig down deep. And, and that's what the Psalms were, the intention of the Psalms were. Uh, when we recite poetry, we, we, it, there's, there's rhythm with poetry, and there's, there's rhyme with poetry, so we can, we can grab it a little easier. Um, so, so supple poetry or, or rhythms uh, are easily caught, right? They're easily caught. Uh, when we read Proverbs or, or nursery rhymes, it's something that we can repeat over and over. I know for me, I'm still repeating nursery rhymes, even though my kids are getting a little older now. I'm still repeating the nursery rhymes that I thought were going out of my mind, but they weren't. So psalms of poetry are kind of like proverbial sayings or responsive readings or, or riddles that, that have an answer, that you, you have a statement and then an answer. Um, so you'll see a lot of that in, in the Psalms as well. Um, and although much of the rhythm in the Psalms has been lost in translation because it was, it was written in a certain translation, so it was caught in that translation, uh, now it's, it's kind of been lost as we've translated into another language, 
but you can still see a lot of rhythm in some of the psalms. As you look at the psalms, you'll see, oh, that's kinda, that seems like a song. And, and as you look at the psalms, you'll notice that many of them have been turned into hymns that we sing or praise songs that we sing. Uh, there, there's plenty of, of content there, biblical content for us to, to worship from. And, uh, and what I do in my Bible, and I, know, I probably told you this before, but uh, whenever I find a place that I'm familiar that this is a song that I've sung before or, or that we sing, I, I write little musical notes next to that, that passage in my margin so that, oh, yeah, this is a song. This is a song that I sing. And, and, and then when I read it, I actually try to sing that song because when I sing that song, it commits it more to memory for me, right? And that's the, the idea of the Psalms was to be something easy um, a worship, a worship guide that will easily instruct my emotions with truth. Right? This is this is instruction for us. Um, the Psalms are meant to awaken and instruct our emotions. I said that right. Uh, I want to read off just a list of some emotions that that we see in Psalms because you know I, I love to preach and I love to preach doctrine, but but certainly uh, there are there's a whole whole gamut of emotions that we experience as a people, and as we experience those emotions, we have to deal with those. We can't be always led by our emotions, right? When we're led by our emotions, we'll, we'll have a life and a faith that goes up and down. But if we're led by and instructed by the Word of God, that will tell our emotions what to feel and how to be, right? That's, that's what's important. So here are some emotions that it deals with. Loneliness. These are all Psalms references. Uh, loneliness or love. Awe. Awe is an emotion, right? We stand in awe. Sorrow. Regret. You ever feel these things? Regret, um, contrition, a, a broken and contrite heart, a broken heart. Discouragement and turmoil, right? How, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? How about shame? Shame is an emotion we face. How about praise or exaltation? Marveling, right? We can marvel at things and find things marvelous. And we, again, kind of standing in awe of, of things. Uh, delight is mentioned often in Psalms that we would find our delight in His Word and the instruction of the Lord, but, but there's a delight emotion inside of us. Joy is mentioned several times in Psalms. Gladness. Fear is also mentioned, right? Fear is an emotion that we deal with often. Anger can be an emotion we deal with. Grief. Oh, grief, right? Sorrow. And desire. It helps us temper our desires and and foster our desires and point our desires in the right direction to truth. From there, hope. We talk about hope, and hope is one of those things that we cling to as, as believers. We cling to the hope we have in Christ. It deals with brokenheartedness. It deals with gratitude and thanksgiving. It deals with zeal and passion. It deals with pain. And it deals with confidence. Confidence. So there's a whole, whole gamut of emotions, and there's more than that that are out there that they're dealt with in the Psalms, and we need to understand that the Psalms are there to instruct, awaken and instruct our emotions. Psalms are not there to be the emotional outpouring of our heart. They're to awaken the emotions in our heart and then instruct them on what is true and what is right. Psalms are meant to be not only instruction for our emotions, but instruction for life, basic instructions for life. No matter where a person is in their Christian life, there's a psalm that speaks directly to the state of their heart. That's why, that's why it's so important to, to, to read through the psalms. And as we meditate on the instruction of the Lord, we're reading through the psalms. We're finding hope there. We're finding encouragement. We're finding it as a source of truth that will direct us when, when we need direction. And we'll find direction and hope. Any stage in life, you'll find, you'll find help there. 
Psalms are meant to instruct and guide people in the worship of God. They should be sung devotionally. They should be prayed fervently. They should be preached evangelistically and taught expositionally. And, and God is the center of the Psalms. So the God-centered Psalms are meant to direct our affections of our hearts back to Him. And that's, that's so important for the Psalms, that it would direct the affections of our hearts back to Him. And often that means directing the affections of our hearts away from ourselves, right? Away from something else. And really it's ourselves, our own pride, our own ego, our own desires. So today we're going to look at, at how we're going to be firmly planted or how we can be firmly planted. Uh, I think that's, that's a great uh, topic for the text today in, in chapters 1 and 2. And if the Psalms are meant to settle us and shape us and shape our emotions in line with God's instruction, then when we read and when we properly understand them, our hearts will be firmly planted in His truth. Amen? When we, when we go there and we, we learn there, we'll be firmly planted in His truth. It's an emotional and spiritual anchoring for us. All right? Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get right into our text. Father, we are grateful to be here today. We're thankful that you are our God. We ask that as we look to your word today, you would open our hearts and minds. God, you would help us test the affections of our heart. Is there something or someone that, that we're more affectionate towards or inclined towards than you? And God, we ask that you would turn our hearts towards you, that we would seek you and be firmly planted, firmly rooted in the refuge of Jesus Christ. Challenge us and change us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapters 1 and 2 in the book of Psalms. We'll go ahead and read both chapters, and then we'll, we'll break that down, okay? Beginning in verse 1. How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path of sinners, or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the, instruction, in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not survive the judgment, and sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Why do the nations rebel and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let us tear off their chains and free ourselves from their restraints, they say. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath. I have consecrated my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All those who take refuge in him are happy. 
All right, well, let's get into this. So we're talking about being firmly planted, and I think that's an, an important theme, no matter the stage of life we're in, no matter the season of life we are in. Being firmly planted, firmly rooted, and we talk about that, standing on a firm footing, a firm foundation is so important because everything in the world wants to push us over or blow us away. And, and every circumstance in life comes up, we are easily shaken or can be easily shaken. We can be easily confused or disturbed, but there is one that holds us secure, and that is Jesus Christ. And as we are firmly rooted and firmly planted in him, we will, we will have this peace and this joy. And what the text says is this happiness. We'll be overly happy because we are firmly planted in the Lord. So, so we're looking at how we are firmly planted. How, why does this happen? Number one is this. Because we are influenced by and delight in the Lord's instruction. We're firmly planted because we're influenced by and delight in the Lord's instruction. If you're not feeling firmly planted, you may not be being influenced by the Word of God. Or you may not be delighting in the Word of God and the instruction of the Lord. To be firmly planted means that I I am going to look at what He instructs and I'm going to listen to that and that's going to guide my life and make it well with my soul. And that I'm going to delight in that. That I'm going, to, I'm going to turn my affections from whatever might be out there, whatever I was craving, whatever I was desiring, whatever I wanted as more supreme, I'm going to turn it towards the Lord and say, listen, this is where I will delight. And, and as I delight in Him, He will always satisfy. He will never fail us. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 again in chapter 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. I mentioned this a minute ago, this word happy or blessed, right? How happy is the one? We see that word there, and it's how happy and what it's saying is it's, it's almost like a double, uh, it's repeated, it's double, double translated here. It's, it's for emphasis saying, so very, very happy is the one. So full of happiness and joy is the one. It's not just saying, oh, this will make you happy too. Right? We have a happy list, right? We have a list of things that make us happy and, and we enjoy. This is the one that would be at the top. This is the thing that is, I will have an abundant joy and abundant happiness because of the Lord and his instruction. I delight in the Lord's instruction Happy is the one who does not walk with the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Right? This has more emphasis on it. It's, it's a down deep, soul satisfying happiness that's rooted in the Lord Himself. You could say, How ultimately happy is the one? How ultimately happy is the one? And, and I want to look at the text here because it's offering us a contrast of ways that we're influenced. There's two ways we're influenced. And I want us to look at that today. Um, there's a progression here. We see this, these words that how happy is the one who does not, right? So it's saying the negative part of this. You'll be happy if you don't do these things. But I want you to see the words, the little, the little verb words here. There's walk, stand, and sit. This is the natural progression that everyone takes when making decisions. I want you to think about that. We, this, the walk, as we walk, what it's, what it's doing for us and what, what that means is we're actually deciding, like, what path am I going to choose? Where, where is the inclination of my heart going to lead me? It's kind of like that, that compass north, right? You, you, there's north, 
And, and where's that magnet pulling me? And really, the magnet is the affection of my heart. What, what is the affection of my heart pulling me towards? See, what we're doing and what we're living for really does determine and show us what the affection of our heart is, right? We talk about that, our priorities. We look at our checkbook. That will tell us where our priorities are, what, where, where we spend our money. If we look at our calendar, where we spend our time, we look at our hobbies, how we spend our, our, um, our talents, right? How we use our talents. All those things are, are showing us where our priorities lie. And as we walk, if our affections are for Christ, we'll walk towards Christ. If our affections are for something else, we will not walk towards Christ, at least not as often. But that walking indicates and shows that there is a choice to be made, there's a door to walk through, there's a path to, to go down, and we walk choosing that path every step. What can help is the affection of our heart changing, what we actually delight in changing. So we walk, right? It's talking about the, deci- the decisions we make. Then it says stand. Those, those who stand, it says what? In the pathway of sinners. Once we walk and make that choice, we tend to then stand, don't we? And the standing makes, it's like I'm walking and then I what? Then I take my stand. And what it's saying is I'm making a commitment. I'm making a commitment. It's, it's pretty firm that this is the place I'm going to stand and this is the company in whose presence I'm going to remain. We have to think about that. If we're looking at the Psalms and we want to be, be happy and overly happy and abundantly, ultimately happy, is that place that we're standing in the pathway of sinners or those who would mock God? Are we choosing things that would be breaking the heart of God? Things that would grieve the heart of God? Or are we walking and standing in a place of conviction where He'll firmly plant us rooted in Him because it's obedient to Him? So we walk and then we stand. We, we make that commitment and then when we sit, right, this is like that finality. When we finally sit, think about when you came in here today. You walk through the doors. Most of you have your, have your spot, don't you? Most of you know where you're going to sit. But some of you don't. Some, and some of you change it up sometimes because people, you know, they, they take your spot. But you'll, you'll, walk, you'll walk in, you're, then you'll stop and you'll stand. I'm committed to this side. And probably this company. And I look around and I look and I find a spot. And then what do we do? We walk over, we set our heart and our mind on it, and we go down and we sit down. And this is where I'm at. This is where I plant myself. I'm planted here now. And we do that with sin, and we do that with righteousness and obedience as well. We can walk, and we can stand, and we can make that choice to sit. And when we sit, it really shows the affection of our heart. It really shows the attitude of our heart. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to sit in. I, my kids do this because they're toddlers. My, my son, when he doesn't want to obey and he wants it his way, he'll walk over to me or walk to what he wants. He'll stand there and pout. And if he doesn't get his way to make it more bold, to put the exclamation mark on it, what does he do? Sits down. He sits down and throws a fit or pouts. That's what we do, right? That's the progression. We walk towards what we want. We stand there making a commitment. And to put the exclamation point on it, we sit there. We sit there and let our hearts settle there. The challenge, the contrast is not, are you wicked or are you righteous? It's this, what are you letting influence you? 
What are you letting be the greatest influence on your heart? Is it bad company or good company? Is it time spent in, in the Word and with the Lord in prayer? Or is it time spent on other priorities, on your tablet or your mobile device and social media? Where are you planting yourself? If we want to be firmly planted, then we will be influenced by and delight in the Lord's instruction. I want to look at Psalm 119 real quick, and you can flip there with me if you'd like to. There's a few, a few verses here I want, to, I want to speak to this delight, because it really does, it's not this, oh, okay, I guess I'll just sit there and plant myself where God wants me. What God is saying is, you will delight in it. It will be your joy. See, the affections of your heart have to change. What you desire the most has to change, and, and what you desire the most is a telltale sign of who really is your God. And if we have exhibited faith in Christ and trust in Him as our Savior and Lord, our affections for Him should grow. Everything We should be able to sacrifice everything and sell everything we have for the treasure that He is to us. So here's, way, here's ways that the law or the, or the Word are the delight of our heart. We start in verse 11 of Psalm 119. It says, I have treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. I've treasured it. Not just I've committed it to memory and I know it. No, I have treasured it there. It's valuable to me. When I need it, it comes up. It's there. I've treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Going to verse 35. Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. I take pleasure in it. I take, God, help me stay on that path. Help me help the affections of my heart, that compass, that magnet, go towards your path, because there is where I find my pleasure Verse 47 and 48, I delight in your commandments, which I love. See, there's that delight. These are, the, these are emotions. I delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. Instructions. This, this is a book of instructions for life. Don't we need some instruction for life? Don't we all need that person we can go to and say, I need some help. I need some advice. I don't know what to do in this situation. It happens like daily for us, right? For some of you are like, daily? Brandon, it happens like every hour. I'm like, yeah, I know, like every minute, right? It happens all the time. We need instruction. And, and when our delight goes to the Lord and affections go to the Lord, He's the one that instructs our emotions and our life. And they're rooted firmly in His truth. Look at verse 72. Instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Can you say that? Can I say that? Lord, I would rather have instruction from your lips. I'd rather have the instruction from your word in my heart, settling there and rooting me, firmly planting me, because it's a, it's a huge delight. I'm, I'm ultimately happy in that, rather than winning the lottery. I, I'd rather choose that. That's what he's saying. Going on, I think it's 92, verse 92. If your instruction had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. This is, this is going into deep, deep despair, folks. We're talking about deep grief, deep loss, deep trauma, deep despair and depression. Can the Word speak to that? Absolutely. Is there an easy answer to that? Well, not always. 
But is there a pretty solid answer to that? Yeah. What does he say? If, if your instruction had not been what? My delight, my, I would have died in my affliction. You see, when, when, when our affection is towards God and, and, the Lord's, and the Lord's instruction, when it becomes our delight, those afflictions begin to heal and don't take us down a path of darkness. The word, though, has to be, the instruction has to be our delight. And in verse 3, it goes on, it says, those who do that, those who meditate on it day and night, they're like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospered, prospers. Planted beside flowing streams. The word streams is in the plural and it emphasizes the abundant, overflowing supply from a source that refreshes, revives us, and renews us. And we need that. And from this abundant source, we will begin to see and yield fruit from that source. And who's that source? It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? He's guiding us. He's directing us. He's bearing a fruit in us. Those who are firmly planted are those who are instructed by and delight in the instruction of the Lord. Number two, how are we firmly planted? Well, number two is we have been made righteous. We've been made righteous. And, and what, here's what this means. We don't have to, to wonder anymore. We don't have to struggle anymore trying to earn our way and, and, and be good enough. People spend their entire lives trying to earn favor with God. And at the end, when they stand before God, everything they had done will have been for naught. Because they never could do enough. And they never realized and understood or accepted the fact that Jesus did enough for them. Here's the contrast. Here's what it looks like in verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 1. The wicked are not like this. Not like this tree, right? Planted uh, by streams of water. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. They are, uh, therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked leads to ruin. We see that the ungodly actually do what God forbids. They try to earn their own way and set up their own standards, their own priorities, and they are not like the righteous whose leaves never wither. Why do their leaves never wither? Because they have a righteousness that is not of themselves. Amen? The righteousness they have is from Jesus Christ. And that, that, that the fruit of the Spirit will never disappoint. The fruit of the Spirit will always produce fruit in us. For sinners, for the sinful, for the disobedient, for the rebellious, for those who are revolting against God, for those who would reject God, for those who are trying to earn it on their own. In the end... Their successes are left empty, void, shallow, and worthless. There's nothing that they can do to stand before God and say, accept me because of what I've done. They will perish under God's judgment because their trust is in their own righteousness, and their own righteousness is insufficient. See, that, that's, that's what the wicked place their hope in, their own righteousness. I don't want to be classified as the wicked. I don't, want to, I don't want to stand before God with my own righteousness saying, look, look at how good I was, God. Obviously, you have to let me in. Because when we stand before God, we're going to see an ultimate righteousness that we have never, ever even observed. And, and nothing can compare to it. But what he's doing is, is offering that to us. 
Romans chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 say this, since, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God, that is the wicked, right, and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted then to God's righteousness. Verse 4 of chapter 10 in Romans says, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end. He's the final. He's the one that did it all. He's the one that accomplished everything. In Him, we actually can have righteousness. Those who would believe, we would have righteousness. But what you and I have to do is, is come with all that worthless junk, that worthless attempt, and we have to, to, to shed that off of us. And we come empty, right? We come empty to Him, longing to be filled by a righteousness from Him that can only fill us to the fullest. It's only in Him. It's nothing by us. We empty ourselves, and, and people don't want to empty themselves. People don't want to set themselves aside. Romans 5.8 says this, But God proves His own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more than since we have been declared righteous, there's that word, righteous by His blood, will we, will we be saved through Him from wrath? You, you see, when we're... When we're saved from wrath, we don't have to start. Keep, we don't have to keep fighting to be saved from wrath. We're now we're now secure and and have a righteousness that's not of our own, and we can stand before God with Christ's righteousness acceptable to Him. And 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 we're we're at peace in our heart. Then, see, there's a peace that that brings, isn't there? When we when we stop fighting, when we stop struggling to earn our way. We stop struggling for the Lord's approval and lay ourselves down empty before Him. Right? We walk, stand, and then sit at His feet, longing to be filled. He fills us. And now we're at peace, not because we're awesome, but because He is. Amen? Because He did what was, what was totally necessary, what we could never, ever accomplish. He did it for us. Number three, how are we firmly planted? We're firmly planted uh, because we don't resi resist the Lord's anointed. We don't resist the Lord's anointed. So there's this battle still, right? Those, we, we just understood that we, we came before Him empty and we received this righteousness that was not of ourselves, and we, now we have peace. And we're going to talk about that peace a little more in this, this, this uh, context in number three. But those who did not come before Him empty do not have that peace. And then if it's not peace, then it's what? It's war. There's war going on inside. We are firmly planted because we don't resist the Lord's anointed. Look at what the world does. Verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We, we, we see this context, right, that, that the, the way of the wicked leads to ruin. We just saw that truth in the end of chapter 1. Then we go right into chapter 2. Why then? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and, and throw their ropes off us, is what they say. They resist the Lord. They resist the Lord. They fight the Lord thinking that they can produce the freedom and peace themselves. And they are wrong. I want to I share a little story, a little illustration with you. Uh, right here. 
I'll share two. Uh, one, one was uh, during the French Revolution, there was a, a political revolutionary, just a citizen, not, not necessarily a strong general or something leading the way, but he was a revolutionary who, who wanted to, to get rid of every law and every, every overbearing religion that he could. And, and so he scaled the cathedral at Notre Dame and he tore down the cross on the top of the spire, right? He tears it down and he, he dashes it into pieces on the ground below. And he, he says there out loud, he's, he's boasting, we are going to pull down everything that reminds us of God. Right? He's revolting against God, against the Lord's anointed. And then there was this small voice from the cloud, crowd that challenged this, uh, this revolter and replied this way. He said, then you might as well pull down the stars themselves. You see, so many people try to revolt against God try to take away the things that remind them of God. Look at our, look at our nation, right? Look at what's happening in our nation and, and what, what, is being, what is being restricted as far as religious freedom and practice. People do not want to be reminded of God. They do not want God to be there because when God is in the forefront of their mind, when they see God, they know they're at war with God. And they want to work to be at peace, so they have to remove God from the, the equation in order to be at peace. And throwing a cross into crumbling pieces on the ground doesn't work because the heavens declare the glory of God. And if you really want to take away God, you better pull down the stars, right? And it will never, ever work. There's another story of uh, the Roman Empire. We had Constantine, who, who was a, a certainly a, a friendly ruler to Christianity and, and instituted ordinances of Christian faith, that, that Christianity was the, the state religion. But then... You know, leaders die, and new ones come up. And in AD 360, Flavius Claudius Julianus, he was he was put into power as Caesar of Rome. He reinstated pagan worship, and he uh, he began to abolish that. Whatever had been been put up by Constantine, he wanted to abolish. And with fury, this ruler opposed the followers of Christ, and and began to persecute them. And he and he said that they were powerful enemies. Of our gods. So, with this fanatical resolve, he wanted to remove Christianity and began to persecute them uh, and even kill Christians for their faith who stood for faith in Christ. In an attempt to entertain some friends one day, Julian taunted one believer named Agaton. <clears throat> with so many Christians being put to death, the emperor asked him, so Caesar asked him, he said, How is your carpenter of Nazareth? Is he finding work these days? Right, in some smug, mocking way. Without missing a beat, Agaton replied, He is perhaps taking time away from building mansions for the faithful to build a coffin for your empire. And isn't that the truth? Centuries have gone by. The Roman Empire has risen and fallen. But there is one kingdom that still remains. It is the kingdom of God because His kingdom is invincible. His kingdom cannot be over throne. His kingdom will stand forever. But this heart, this revolting, rebellious heart is the essence of, of mankind and their sin. It's a rejection of God's rule in favor of our own rule. People don't want God to be God. They want to be God. Luke 19.14b says, we don't want this man to rule over us. That's the attitude of their heart. We don't want this man 
to rule over this, this, this carpenter from Nazareth. And while freedom may be sought outside the Lord, right? They want to be free. It, it said there they want to tear off the chains and these ropes. It's like they're being bound. They're being, being strangled with things. And what it is is they're, they're being tangled up in their own revolt. They're being tangled up in their own pursuit. And they're trying to be free. And it's like that Chinese finger trap, right? The harder you fight, the more stuck you get. The more stuck you get. So freedom can be sought outside the Lord, but it will never be found. It will never be truly found except in Him. Only in Him. It's interesting that while we seek rest, listen, listen to this verbiage from this passage in, in verses 1-3. through three. As they seek rest, as they seek freedom, there are words like rage and plot and take stands and conspire. Sounds pretty restful, doesn't it? And, and when the anointed one offers real rest, we can plant ourselves there, humbly submitting to his authority in our lives, to his sovereign rule, because his kingdom will never end. You see, you and I are firmly planted because we are not resisting the Lord's anointed. Number four, we are friends of God and not enemies. That's why we're firmly planted, because we're friends of God and not enemies. Look at verses 4 through 9. The one enthroned in the heavens laughs, right? So they're trying to plot and try to overthrow, trying to get out of these chains and ropes that they've created themselves. And the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. See, when we're friends of God, we aren't broken with an iron scepter. We aren't shattered like pottery. Those who are not firmly planted are. We wage war against God to find rest for our soul. And we never, ever will. Peace begins with Jesus. And peace brings security. We're no longer an enemy of the state. You see, we've trusted in Christ in faith to forgive us, to redeem us, to pay for what we have done by His blood and through His resurrection. That when we trust in Christ and and a righteousness that comes from Christ, we aren't trusting in a righteousness that comes from ourselves. We've laid that down, haven't we? We've set that aside. we said nothing else can be brought before the Lord that he'll accept. What he accepts is what a contrite heart, humble, humility, emptiness before him. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have faith in Christ, we've been declared righteous, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's peace, and that's why we're firmly planted, because we're at peace with God. We're not at war with God. We are friends of God, not enemies of the state anymore. Romans 5.10 goes on. It says, For if while we were enemies of God, enemies, then we were reconciled to God through his death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? We were enemies And now we're at peace, reconciled. That relationship has been fixed and resolved. 
when we have faith in Christ, we're at peace with God. And peace helps us firmly plant and rest ourselves in Him. Amen? Finally, number five. How are we firmly planted? Well, we're firmly planted when we wisely receive instruction and when we seek refuge in Him. When we wisely seek instruction and seek refuge in Him. It almost comes full circle from chapter 1, the first starting verses. Let's look at verses 10 and 11, or 10, 11, and 12 of chapter 2. So now, kings, so now, so all, after all of this, so now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with rever- reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. See, we're back full circle again. This ultimately happy are those who take refuge in him. Now, I want you to understand for us, there's this opportunity that we have before us every day and every moment that we would walk, then we would stand, and then we would ultimately sit and settle our hearts somewhere. My hope and prayer is that you are willing and wanting and desiring and delighting in settling your heart in the affections of Christ, in his instruction and his word, that it would guide and direct your emotions and your life that you would settle and rest in his righteousness for your peace, that you would be firmly planted, and as you're firmly planted in the streams that are flowing, his streams, you would produce a fruit that's, that's ready all season, every season, because it's always in him. So there's an opportunity being given by God to us to reconsider or to rethink and to end our revolt against him and trust him in faith, Right? He's, he's shown what the wicked are like. He's shown what, what the ones that are at peace are like. And he's saying to them, so now, he's saying, so now kings, so now judges, so now people of the earth, I'm giving you an opportunity to rethink. Be wise. Choose wisely. Receive instruction. God is urgently calling sinners, rebellious, to pay homage to Jesus Christ, the Son. What does that look like? Remember, it was, the, it was to kiss the sun. Some of your translations may say that. It was when they knelt down and kissed the ring, right? They paid homage. They're saying, your authority and sovereignty is over me in totality. And I come before you with nothing but allegiance and humility. And as we take refuge in him, see, as we believe, as we pay homage humbly to him, and we take refuge in him, We've come full circle around and we experience this abundant happiness that can only be found when we are firmly planted in God. Amen? All right, that's Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we ask that you would challenge our hearts right now, that you you would be letting us know that there's a chance, a second chance right now to rethink, to reconsider, to, to end the revolt we have had against you. And God, maybe there are those here who have been revolting and fighting you and have been at war with you all their lives. God, I pray that they would, they would wave the, the flag of surrender, that they would yield in humility and emptiness to the righteousness of Christ, that they would believe and trust in him as Savior that you then would fill them up and they'd find refuge and peace and be firmly planted in you. God, for those of us who have, who have trusted you in faith, 
God, we still make those choices to walk, to stand, to sit every day. God, increase the affections of our heart and the delight we have for you and your instruction that we might rest there, that we might choose to rest there more and more every day. That, God, our delight would be there and our satisfaction would be there. It would be in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and the peace we have being firmly planted in you. And we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we finish, it's just our opportunity to respond in song, in worship to the Lord. And I, I hope you will respond that way. Maybe you need to have prayer. Uh, I'd, I'd be happy to pray with you. If you need, need to pray about something, I'll be standing up front. Uh, please feel free to come up and pray with me. Maybe you need to pray with a friend right next to you. That's fine too. Um, whatever God's leading you to do, however, however he wants you to respond from your heart, whether you need to sing it out or whether you need to bow down before him right now, paying, paying homage to the king, the king of kings. Whatever it is, whatever God's placed on your heart, you respond as we sing. Let's sing. Oh, 
We can sing that greater song when we're firmly planted, right? It is a greater song to him because he has, he has given us a righteousness that we can never achieve. And our heart should overflow from that stream that it's planted firmly in. Amen? It's good to see you guys. Hoyt, would you close us out in prayer?